Well, I would ask you how New York and stuff was, but um, since it's 9.45, I guess we can <laughs> just get going. No chit-chat today. It looked like you had fun. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? It was Brenna. Yeah, and New York. Who was our, is our best and only ever guest on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm hoping that we can get our shit together and plan ahead and actually have more. Yeah, that that would be ideal. Yeah, because <laughs> I know Kate Kate would love to be on. Oh, that'd be so fun. I would love to have mm-hmm. Kate on, especially because she has very differing political opinions. Mm, yeah, somewhat. Could start some drama. We love a good drama. Speaking of drama, my story is again about Russia and Eastern Europe, but... Wow, I'm I know. so surprised. Shocker. You doing a story about Russia? Never. I know. Never. Crazy. <laughs> but if you want to start, I don't know what your story's about. It's up to you. Do you want to go first? Or you can go last. I'll go last just because Mr. Studer is definitely going to rub his face on this microphone for the next 10 minutes. And uh, <laughs> we'll just mute that. Okay. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of the third wave high school experiment. I'm interested. Let's do okay. it. So um, one of my friends from work, Hannah, recommended this to me, and she's been up my ass about not doing it. Because she literally told me to do it like months ago. So here I am. <laughs> Finally doing it. So this story has a dedication. Yes. So this is dedicated to Hannah. Also, so she'll quit sending me hate mail. Um, okay. So our story starts April 1967. We have 25-year-old quote-unquote cool teacher Ron Jones. Mr. Jones teaches 10th grade social studies at Cooperly High School in Palo Alto, California. He's teaching the class about the events that lead to the Holocaust. So our, our time in history, World War II. Um, and he found most of them were really stuck on the idea of how everyday Germans could just be like so easily talked into going with the ideology of Nazis. Which we I feel like is something that. we, what'd you say? I said, we all wonder that, which I feel exactly. like about that's what, what I was just going to say. I feel like we all have that same thought. Like, how does this work? So to Jones, the obvious way to help them understand was to demonstrate. Hence the experiment. Oh, okay. Then So that's... Jones comes to school and says to the class, quote, We're going to do an experiment, a non-threatening experiment, end quote. He started being more stern and gave the class new rules by which they must obey. It was a little abrupt and took the students by surprise. But, you know, as as we know, because we've been in school before, school can be so monotonous. So to them, they're like, yeah, bet. Like, let's do an experiment. Let's do something different. 
His plan was for this to only last a day, but he came in the next day and noticed the students were automatically sitting upright and in unison said, good morning, Mr. Jones, as was instructed the day before. So Jones was surprised and went, all right, and continued the experiment. One of the students said, like after the fact, quote, the first few days, the third wave was just a game. We had lots of rules. We had lots of things we had to do. Tasks included saluting each other and the Nazi salute, standing to ask questions which had to be posed in three words or less. A question in three words or less? Correct. And working on the overarching project of eliminating democracy. Hmm. Just like we, you know, eliminated 6 million people. Um, Unity was central to the ethos and the class even made banners bearing their logo. So they had a logo. (laughs) The banners read, quote, strength through involvement, end quote, and quote, strength through discipline, end quote. That sounds roughly familiar. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) I'm kind of like, what was that? You know, uh, work will set you free. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing that one of their rules were uh, that students couldn't even gather in groups larger than two or three. Sounds like COVID restrictions. (laughs) (laughs) but continue (laughs) yes also also that um but maybe like let's not like correlate those two things (laughs) oh that's fair people actually do think that like those that's why i'm saying let's oh okay yeah sorry conservatives (laughs) that's not a real thing we'll scratch that (laughs) (laughs) like one of those rewind like like that's what we need so (laughs) To get an A, they had to go along with all aspects of the experiment. And if they tried to, quote unquote, overthrow Jones, they failed. So you either went along to get an A or you tried to overthrow and like get out of this experiment and you got an F. Any refusal to participate landed landed them banished to the library. And it was super, um, I just wanted to take a moment. It's super important to note that students didn't just participate and follow rules in school, but also at home. So if one of the students saw another student like out and about and they failed to salute each other, which let's take a pause. Can we imagine walking down the street and seeing two high school age students fucking Nazi saluting each other in public? No, horrific. Okay, well, that's what's happening. (laughs) So back to this. If you failed to salute, you would be reported and tried. 
if you were convicted, you got banished to the library. One student stated after the fact, quote, you never knew who was going to come in the next morning and turn you in. All the lines of communication between students were broken down because of that, end quote. So, wow, this sounds really familiar, kind of like, I don't know, Nazi Germany or something. Yeah, you might be right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So another student did a radio interview after the whole experiment was over and described the climate of fear was quick to develop. He basically was like, there are rumors on top of rumors on top of rumors. Like everybody is just spreading all these lies because I mean, just like in Nazi Germany, it, if you're pointing the finger at someone else, then the, the weight isn't bearing on you. Fre- this was so terrible that friends stopped being friends because they were just suspicious of each other. So though there was a heavy emphasis on unity, Jones took that and said, we are all together. We are a unified front. And then went around and created suspicion and made the students like not want to work together and over like psychoanalyze everything that was said or done or like did you blink funny why did you blink funny like what are you doing like just a crazy situation now mind you four days in so all of this is only four days so far oh yes (laughs) well that was quick escalated real quick so four days in Jones went, hmm, pretty sure I'm losing control of this because other students found out about the experiment and were attracted and started like (laughs) signing up and being a part of the movement also. So now the third wave is not just his class, but like a bunch of other students and other classes. This guy's like creating a cult. Yes. Like, like Hitler. So, (laughs) so (laughs) this grew so much that not only did it grow to other students and other classes, Whitley. Oh no, don't say it. It got so bad that there was an active resistance group. (laughs) In four days. (laughs) I thought you were going to say like more schools in the area started to join. (laughs) No, there's now an underground resistance group. (laughs) That's like, we have to help these people. (laughs) Oh my God. So (laughs) it's not funny, but it is like, so Jones is like, I fucked up. <laughs> like, I should never have taken it past day one. So now he has to come up with a way out. He stops the experiment, but obviously the students are kind of like too far in for him to just be like, okay, like, 
that was funzy, but like, let's get back to social studies. So he has to create like a whole situation. So what he does is he announces to the students that the third wave is now a part of a national movement. And he asks them to attend a rally the following afternoon. So now we're on day five and watch as a presidential candidate would be announced. What the hell? (laughs) Yes, I I swear. So day five, students arrive at the rally. So they're in this like gymnasium auditorium situated situation. And they're like, presidential candidate for this third wave. Like, (laughs) let's go. So Joan says, bet and pulls this tv you know like the tvs that were like on those little audio like atv cart type oh my god those were so like you knew you're gonna have a good day when those rolled out in class that's what's in my head when this is happening so he pulls this cart out and there's a screen playing straight static just like the fuzz remember like back in the like fuzzy black and white screen yeah like Yeah, I imagined it right in my head when you said that. That's what's happening. I imagine the students being like, I thought he was cool. Like, this is lame. Like, that's what I picture. Like, looking around, being like, what the heck? Because he let that play for minutes. Just static. (laughs) Just so we're all clear. Like, I I don't know if you heard me, but like, just static. So he then stops the static, walks up there and says, hey, you've been a part of an experiment where the seed of fascism was planted. (laughs) Congratulations. And then ended the meeting with a film about Nazism. (laughs) Casual. Well, he got I don't these- know what's worse. The fact that you created this situation where like not just your class, but a bunch of kids believed that they were like in this group or that you ended it abruptly with static and then went, here's a film about what you just participated in. <laughs> <laughs> so. Many students were relieved knowing it was over, even though this took five days. And I don't know how to look at it. Like, wow, they're really lucky it was only five days or holy shit, all this stuff happened in only five days. I don't know. (laughs) So I guess, yeah, then that makes you wonder, like, no wonder the Nazi party was able to do that over the course of years. Exactly exactly wild so many of the students are horrified because they which i don't blame them you are over here minding your business and the next thing you know you're confronted with the reality that you played right into the hands of fascism like you would have been a part of the nazi regime and actively participated if you had been there in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, can you imagine? I would because have to go to therapy after that. 
Well, yeah, and how fresh that conflict was still in the 60s. Oh, yeah. Like, could you imagine going to your grandfather who fought the Nazis and being like, so maybe, like, not everyone was bad? Because it seems like I would have also joined the Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Like, I mean, self-preservation you're not wrong and peer pressure really because if you feel like everybody's going to do it then why do you want to go against the norm so I get it um to come out of this many faculty and parents really were just pissed off um I mean yeah there's kids walking around the neighborhood saluting each other using the Nazi symbolism (laughs) yeah that's not good so They thought he took advantage of his position as a teacher to unfairly indoctrinate the students rather than how he looked at it, which was just simply educating them. Um, And they were like, so they said, um, like, why did, why couldn't you have just like read a book? Like, why couldn't you have just educated them? Why did you have to like, go and indoctrinate our kids to like Nazi salute in public. Like, I don't understand. So they're, they're pissed. (laughs) So pissed. In fact, that two years after this, Jones is up for tenure and they deny him. Oh (laughs) yeah. Poor guy. So not only did he just like basically ruin his life, because 10 years, I'm not a teacher, but 10 years is important. Because basically, like, my understanding is unless you, like, kill someone, they're not firing you. Mm-hmm. So a couple of good things to come out of this was in 1981. Do you have your pen ready? Because you might want to write these down. In 1981, The Wave was released showing a fictionalized version of the experiment. And then in 2008, a German film was released with the same name, um, basically showing the exact same thing, but a German version. How ironic. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) look at these dumbass Americans. They didn't learn shit from us, which is fair. I mean, (laughs) that's literally fair. We don't learn a damn thing. So... Uh, here's the thing I don't know if what he did was right or wrong I feel like it's wrong because at the end of the day like did they fully give consent to be indoctrinated with fascist beliefs probably not but at the same time he stuck to what he said and it wasn't uh what was the exact words he used it was not a threatening experiment like nobody was injured nobody was in in an unsafe situation where they're gonna like kill someone or anything like that um they're they're banishing to the library like just send me to the library when i was in high school i'd have been like that's fine Oh yeah, I would have got banished on purpose. For five days. <laughs> like, 
bet. <laughs> give me the, give me an F for this experiment. Send me to the library. That is fine. <laughs> so I just really don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm torn, honestly. Um, <clears throat> but the experiment did accomplish what Jones set out to do. It demonstrated the conclusion that theorist Hannah Arendt came to at the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who we've previously talked about in season one. If you haven't listened to it, go back because it's a goodie. She watched that trial and ended up coming to the conclusion of most members of the SS were, quote, neither perverted nor sadistic, end quote, but rather, quote, terribly and terrifyingly normal, end quote. Oh, yikes. And he helped prove that. I mean, they were indoctrinated in five days. They were actually indoctrinated after day one because they came in the next day sitting straight up and in unison telling him good morning. It took him an afternoon. That quote is a zinger. It is. Oh, it makes like I got chills like when I was typing it and I got chills again right now because isn't that the truth? Like you don't walk down the street and just look at someone and be, and you're like, Oh, that's per that's person's like a murderer or that person is this, that, or the other. I mean, half the, like, if you watch like, you know, 60 days in or something over half the people on that show, if they walk by me on the street, I would not know that they committed the crimes that they're in prison for right now. I do have to go to sleep after this, so uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> nightmare. You went last. <laughs> I'm just saying, like it's crazy. And if you could do that to a class in five days, think about how easy it was for Hitler. Because once you indoctrinate your core group, it's so easy to send those people out and help you indoctrinate too which is what these students did and what they proved by bringing people that weren't even in their class into the experiment. Yeah, that's that's the craziest part that like people outside of it got involved and like there was a resistance because it yeah. was so pervasive. It puts, it puts the whole situation in a perspective, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. That was a good story. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it was good. Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Hannah. Um, but also shout out to the USA for never learning a lesson because that's what my story is about. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel like we have a theme every week where we're just like, and here's another reason why the U S I mean, I, at this point, nothing against teachers, but at this point, like, why do we even have history class? <laughs> like why? Because we don't end up learning anything. We just keep doing the same shit over and over again every year, every minute, every day. Let them I, teach something else. I think that's what happens when you teach to a test and not for actual knowledge sake. Oh, who's spitting facts this week? Another <laughs> zinger. So I'm going to talk about oil. 
Oh, <laughs> very timely. <laughs> no, I just decided that I'm tired of seeing people from my hometown, like blaming the Biden administration for the oil prices right now, because is your hometown, my hometown, basically, probably same, same demographics. <laughs> Um, I shared a video today from TikTok and I literally am begging people at this point. If you don't want to read, if you don't want to read an article, that's fine. Watch this video. Yeah. Literally just watch the video. <laughs> or just do like one Google search. Or like just like watch something other than Fox News. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, but that's why I was just like annoyed because they're like, oh, well, look, like Biden's in office now and gas prices are going up. And I was like, look. It's OPEC. It's OPEC. There's also this crisis going on in Russia and Ukraine. What? Yeah, I never heard of it. Let's just jump right into it here. So please educate me. I had no idea there was anything going on in the world. I know you didn't, Emily. I thought everybody just revolved around the United States. You know, we a lot of people think that here in the U.S. So three problems that I'm just going to lay out right up front here I'm ready. that are impacting oil prices. Okay. One, Russia is the third largest petroleum and liquid fuels producer in the world behind the United States and Saudi Arabia. So they're a major exporter of crude oil. Okay. Got that, everybody? Got it. Yes. Check. We all heard it. Two, starting in mid-January of this year, 2022, there's a huge geopolitical risk related to Russia invading Ukraine, which is contributing to higher and more volatile crude oil prices. That's number two. We heard. And number three, just go ahead and stuff in, you know, a global pandemic that we've been living in for two years that is now starting to ease. So there's an increasing pressure on crude oil price across the globe. I'm assuming that's due to the fact because more people are now traveling. Correct. And they haven't been producing enough to cover that now. Exactly. So now there's a low supply. Supply and demand, people. Which is getting even lower because Russia is a major exporter and we're all boycotting Russia's goods. Mm -hmm. And like, why would Russia want to give us oil anymore anyways at like a reasonable price so but that's the problem we're still buying it because energy was excluded in the current sanctions right but i don't know if you're getting to it but the video i watched today that i shared and asked everybody on my time like my news feed to please please god read or watch it she talked about how um I don't know if it was like the last year of his presidency, but Trump came to an agreement with OPEC that is like my understanding of it was either just now taking effect or we're just now feeling the effects of it where um, they like bargained pricing and all of that good stuff. And then she also said that the oil companies here are, uh, what's that word? What's the word? Well, we're not buying it. <laughs> not producing? No, you just said it. We're not, we're not going to buy Supply, demand stuff because. Oh, oh, sanction. Not sanction. 
Oh God. This okay. Makes me, this makes me sound really dumb because <laughs> you literally just said the word, but we're boycotting. That's what I'm going to go with. Cause uh, that's not okay. the word I'm thinking of, but we're going to go with that. Cause it fits the oil companies on their own decided to boycott Russia. So not everybody is actually buying oil. Though the sanctions said, uh, 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 actually, we need this. <laughs> the oil companies went, eh, eh, eh. we're overriding that and we're now not buying it either. So Biden tried, but the oil companies, which blew my mind, are like, JK, we're just not, we're not going to do it. So I don't know if that's in your story, but that's it's what not I learned today. That is very good context. And I, this is a story that definitely could be out of date literally tomorrow. I so like, like that's everything. Everybody just remember this story is from, we are recording 10, on the 8th of March. At 10, 14. At 10, 14 PM. <laughs> so things could change. And while I'm telling the story, probably, um, but actually, my story more so focuses on what we should have learned in the 70s and didn't. Wow. And it relates to an excuse for that if it was just in the 70s. Yeah. Well, it has to also in deal with OPEC in the oil embargo of 1973. Oh, boy. So I'm just going to jump right in. So a lot of, well, maybe not a lot of people know, but there was a huge energy crisis in the 1970s and basically the whole decade. And it starts with the OPEC oil embargo of 1973. And this causes prices to jump 350% for oil, which is huge. Good Lord. And just so everybody's aware, um, OPEC is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Originally, it was founded in 1960 by five countries, which was the Islamic Republic of Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. So those are like the original OPEC countries. So just so everybody across the board knows what we're saying when we're talking about OPEC. Thank you. Of course. Always left a level set. So the problem starts in the 70s where American oil consumption is starting to increase but domestic oil production, so like oil production here in the US is declining. So the US during this, like the lead up to this embargo is more and more and more relying on oil from abroad, which gotcha. seems like not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing because, well, we'll see why it becomes a bad thing here in a minute. But Americans didn't really care about the supply of oil or they didn't worry that it would ever spike in a price. And policymakers in Washington, shocker, encouraged this attitude because they believed that OPEC oil exporters couldn't afford to lose the revenue from the US market. Mm. But guess what? Mm. Those assumptions so were demolished cocky. in 1973, <laughs> exactly. They're like, no, 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 don't worry. And then like, it happened. So OPEC imposes an oil embargo. And this leads to fuel shortages and sky high prices throughout most of the 70s. And 
the reason this embargo happened goes back like a lot of things apparently do in the the uh, 20th century to World War II. So in 1948, the Allies carved out a land of, or a piece of Palestine, which was controlled by the British at the time to create the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the Arab population in that region, they refused to acknowledge the Israeli state. And this caused a lot of disruption and full-scale conflict in the area. Yep. So in 1973, the Yom Kippur War happens, and Egypt and Syria attack Israel on the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Rude, but okay. Um, Wait, Egypt and who? Syria. Without Palestine? (laughs) I didn't write the rules, Emily, of war. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just trying to understand how, like, the country who lost the land is not the one starting the war (laughs) i'm just i'm just trying to wrap my head around it (laughs) yeah and i don't know if it's because so like Israel was kind of set off as this safe haven for the Jewish population. So I don't know if like Palestine was like, you know, this is a very Jewish heavy area of our country, like wash our hands of it, let them go like in their own territory. I Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about that. Um, That'd probably be a good story too, because I actually don't understand much about Israeli relations, but it is a very, very interesting area, even to the, like, even today it's. We should add that to our list. Yes, we should. Um, but anyways, Egypt and oddly Syria (laughs) and not Palestine. Um, so they're attacking Israel and the Soviet Union begins sending arms to Egypt and Syria, but U.S. President Nixon begins an effort to resupply Israel. So OPEC Mm, gets big mad. And they start to reduce their petroleum production and proclaim an embargo on oil shipments to the U.S. and to the Netherlands, who are main supporters of Israel. So they're like... At least we weren't alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, little Netherlands got lumped in here. Oh, Lord. So the Yom Kippur War ended in late October, but the embargo and the limitations on oil production continued, and this sparks a huge international energy crisis. So again, think... Relating this to today, just a small, seemingly small area in the world is having this conflict, but oil gets involved and it sparks an energy crisis across the world. Should it's, That should sound familiar to everybody. This is why, listen, I'll just throw my opinion in there because it's my podcast. If you don't like it, don't listen, I guess. But this is why it's so important to find alternate sources of energy. Yes. Which like if we were if we were using like wind, solar, or water power for not everything, but a majority of things, it wouldn't matter if Russia or OPEC or whoever like cuts off our oil supply. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, and this is a great point in like my story too. Um, because interestingly, environmentalism 
which we're not shocked that in the 70s, everybody, you know, is all about Mother Nature and Mother Earth. We, we, I think we all kind of have that stereotype of the 70s. But environmentalism reaches new heights and becomes a motivating force behind policymaking. And it is purely because we are being so negatively impacted by this reliance on OPEC oil. Yeah. So it's not environmentalism for the sake of the environment. It's for the sake of like keeping products cheap for Americans. Because we, whenever we start to feel pressure of something, we decide it's time to change. Yep. And that's what Why we did. Why change until it affects us? Why not? Why would we be proactive? We would. We are always team reactive. Why change now? It's a toxic trait. And in the 70s, we are team reactive all the way. Like national and state leaders start calling for energy conservation. And it was a huge blow to the American automotive industry because Americans were turning out these bigger and bigger cars, which need more fuel. And now they're starting to be outpaced by Japanese manufacturers who have smaller, more efficient fuel like fuel efficient, sorry, uh, cars. Yep. And the embargo weirdly was not even enforced uniformly in Europe, but the price hikes led to an even bigger energy crisis than in the United States who was involved with the Israel conflict. Hmm. So like, and I didn't research this, but my guess would just be that their economies are smaller and they probably can't afford these price hikes as much as gotcha. a country with a bigger economy. That would be my guess. Right. Um, don't quote me on it, but that logically makes sense to me. That's a quote, a direct quote. No, right oh my God. Uh. I don't know why you're going to say that's not a quote. And then you're literally recording it for it to be. <laughs> it is a quote. <laughs> <laughs> for it to literally just stay in the world forever. But anyways, Emily, what I was saying <laughs> was that again because of this because americans are like slightly inconvenienced efforts are made to stimulate domestic oil production and reduce american dependence on fossil fuels so they're trying to find alternative sources of power and renewable energy sources like solar or wind power that kind of stuff um i don't know how we have allies i yeah good question emily Let me go to the UN and ask the class. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you allies with us? Perfectly good question, really. Mm-hmm. So then we hit like seemingly things start to like let up in the like late 70s. Okay. But then in 1979, the second oil shock hits the 1979 oil shock (laughs) which is an energy crisis caused by drop in oil production in the wake of the iranian revolution so again an event that's really only physically impacting like a very small portion of the world Mm -hmm. causes these huge ripples because we're all so reliant on fossil fuels as an energy source and let me guess we still were not prepared we didn't learn anything in we didn't. What, four or five years. Again, relatable to today at COVID responses. So oil production in Iran falls drastically. And 
also in Iraq. So again, those are two of the founding OPEC countries and mm. oil production is falling and it starts triggering economic recessions. So oil prices, so we started this in the 73, oil prices didn't fully recover until the mid 1980s. So just, you know, soak that in for a second, thinking about our current situation and how dire it could get as this conflict in Eastern Europe continues. And the people that are in politics right now are the same MFers that were there then. Yes. And they didn't learn a damn thing. This is why we need term limits. I'm just like, I can't. Another perfect segue. It's like I was channeling you when I wrote these headlines. Like I put headlines <laughs> in my notes. Lessons in parentheses, again, not learned. I love how we're in sync so much right now. <laughs> I, I think I just think about when I'm writing my notes, I'm like, what would Emily want to know? And then I like come up with headlines. How to spell the. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's just like my brain is so <laughs> like, I really feel like people listen to this and they're like, how the fuck does Whitley have a podcast with her? She's so stupid. <laughs> well, like, I mean, like, boycott 10 minutes ago. Well, everybody forgets words. You had like the spirit of the idea and you added like very valuable information that I did not know until you told me. Don't make it better. <laughs> I think I just did. But anyways, lessons again, not learned. Um, so this is a fun like headline I found. Russia's Ukraine invasion could have set in motion an energy market disruption on the scale of major oil crises in the 1970s. So all that stuff I just chatted through, which was a very high level of the 70s energy crisis. Yeah. We're there, people. Like, we could be going there, but maybe even worse. We're um, tweeting this episode at Biden. <laughs> I'm going to, like, every single day, every, like, two hours, I'm going to tweet this and I'm going to at him. I can't wait to see it. I hope somebody and, and responds. Kamala Harris. <laughs> and be like, what are you doing? So here's the problem. Mass or Moscow, that's not how you say that. Moscow is one of the world's largest oil exporters. And I people from our hometown say it. <laughs> Moscow. So Russia actually exports about 7.5 million barrels of barrels of oil a day. So which just I'm just, sorry. I'm go ahead. I was just gonna put it in context, like I think, I thought I had this in here. I think it's like 80 million total is produced a day, like exported wow. a day, like across the world. So it doesn't seem like much, but. No, that's a lot. It is. And even though we aren't specifically sanctioning Russia, the government isn't, like you mentioned with the oil companies, there's like other backlash happening against yeah. russia and everybody's weary of russian oil right now um it's kind of tainted you know and because of this jp morgan estimates that 66 percent of russian oil is not finding buyers and that crude oil prices could reach 185 dollars by the end of the year if the russian oil market remains disrupted so i just want to say it's already at 130 a barrel and that's like as of yesterday 
So that is already the heightened price that we're seeing. So it's going to get another potentially $55 higher per barrel. And that's going to cascade onto everybody globally. I need to find a work from home job. Oh, wait. I did have that thing that you mentioned about BP and Exxon Mobil are exiting Russian ventures. Uh, LOL. <laughs> They're giving up their major investments. Yep. Um, see, who's dumb now? This girl. <laughs> we both are. This is a match made in <laughs> idiot heaven. And another problem again why this will probably hit europe even harder is because europe is the biggest customer for both russian oil and gas so both their natural gas and their crude oil prices are spiking i would hate to see their gas prices yeah i i don't want to see them so let's see if we can i'm gonna look it up while you're talking yeah and this is just the last thing i have to say like bank of america has estimated that for every million barrels, one million lost from the market, the price of Brent crude oil, which is just a variation of oil that they benchmark the price across the globe at, mm-hmm. um, could raise by $20 a barrel. And it's estimated that two to three million barrels a day will be lost. So that's like wow. 40 to $60 per barrel added cost. So all of this is to say, again, didn't learn our lesson. Shocker. But I hope everybody will walk away from this episode not thinking that it's just like one leader in power, Biden, or like the America government, or like a specific company, or like any of that causing these oil prices and gas prices to increase. And right. I just, it's, and I'm not saying this is the whole story it's just a taste of the story and what i wanted people to gain from this is you can't pin this complex issue on one single variable because this is something we've had issues with going back even to the 70s and probably before that too um so yeah that's just why i wanted to tell this story and I researched it because I was just getting annoyed by everybody posting about like, oh my God, my my gas is $4 a gallon. Like, yeah, it is. But at least you still have a home. You're not like homeless. There's not somebody bombing your home, like without regard to who's there, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll step off my soapbox now. So I looked it up and as of March 7th, which was yesterday, Um, And I converted it to U.S. gallons and U.S. dollars. The most expensive gas currently is in Norway at $10.19. Yeah, see, I think Europe is really going to feel the impact and the pain of this. Let's see. Um assuming this is united kingdom yeah so our bffs in the uk seven dollars 72 cents yep 
Now, the cheapest, Russia. <laughs> Shocker. At $1.41. Probably because they have which a would bunch make, of excess oil. I was going to say, which makes sense because they have a surplus of oil. So they've got the supply. And their BFF Belarus, $2.59. But surprisingly, it, are you ready to be surprised? Because this does surprise me. Ukraine, third lowest, four forty-seven. So that is interesting to me. Yeah, because you would think that theirs would jump. Because I would guess they're either not. I don't know. My guess would be that they would would either not take Russian oil. And gas, or Russia would stop supplying. So I'm wondering if they're getting their gas and stuff elsewhere, or if they just have that big of a surplus that they don't need to worry about it right now. Yeah, the two things it could be is that one, they just have a really hefty reserve of oil on hand. Yeah. Or be somehow they produce oil somewhere or actually even see maybe there's less demand right now because people are fleeing there's a war happening they're in bunkers underground or maybe even they have alternate forms of energy i know that russia had bombed a nuclear power plant um earlier in the week so those are just different theories it could be any combo of those it could be none of those but just since we're discussing it that's what comes to my mind moral of the story is pick up a history book and learn something yes thank you good way to wrap it up gum gum